podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. 1980s true crime. Wait till you hear what you really sound like. Oh, you're definitely going to want to edit it. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture. And not only that, guys, also its influence today. My name's Will, and joining me, as always, are my friends and my co-hosts, Ray and Kat. Hello. What's going on? On today's show, I'm going to be sharing with you a true, I'm making air quotes, around crime story because it's really just kind of an interesting story that is tied to the 1980s. Mm-hmm. But before we do any of that, we have a number of things to touch base on, including an exciting announcement. Uh, as we teased on our Patreon, and if you're not there, you should get there. We'll tell you more about that later. Uh, Tom Higginson sent us a mysterious package that we opened uh, on video on Patreon, and it turns out he has sent us a vinyl copy and a cassette copy of his Million Miler, or his first album as Million Miler, which is his solo project to create music that seems straight up 80s inspired synth, right? Synth music, I Mm -hmm. guess you'd explain it. Uh, This one is called Millie, his first album, and we're going to give them away. He wants us to. He insists on it. Ray said he was going to take them home, but that was a joke. (laughs) We want to assure you, Tom, it was a joke. We have it still here. (laughs) There's going to be two. There's only, look, it's going to be easy to to compete to. All you have to do, and we'll remind you about this in the next couple of weeks. I guess we'll give it away at what? Say the end of September. Does that sound good? Hmm. Sure. Sounds about right. Say the end of September. We'll put the official rules on the Facebook page, but all you have to do is follow humans. We're here. And follow Million Miler on Facebook and or Instagram. And then send us a message on Facebook, our website. You can email me, Will, at 1980snow.com. Just let us know that you did that. And then you're entered Mm. to win. Then we'll pick a winner at the end of September. And because you've reached out to us, we'll have a way to contact you. We did Mm -hmm. (laughs) months and months ago, uh, Ray and I, we had some kind of contest. And the persons you entered it, they didn't give us their contact info. And on Facebook, we were like, hey, you got to click your price. They never got back to us. So don't do that. Let us know you entered. Do they have to send proof? No. We work on the 1980s mm-hmm. honor system. <laughs> yeah. They can, however, take a picture of themselves with today's mm-hmm. newspaper to prove that they are actually a, a person and not a robot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, once again, it's time for... Thank you for your cooperation. It's always somebody to thank, right? Hey, we got a message from Jesse. Jesse writes, I loved this week's episode. The format of comparing 80s top five to today was fun. Yes, it was. She's talking about our uh, chat with John Reddick. Last week, he joined us to see how long we can endure today's music. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised that you liked or disliked contemporary music more or less than you might have thought? I did think maybe I would have buzzed out a little sooner mm. on, on more than I did. And we've got five more songs to talk about to see how long we can endure on Patreon. So again, we'll tell you how to get and find that out. But uh, uh, we've got uh, five more on bonus, special bonus episodes that we create for our Patreon supporters. I do have a little follow up. You know how we discussed the Frogger TV show last week? Yes. Frogger was indeed my favorite video game. Mm -hmm. And it was also my first big purchase when I was 11 years old. Oh, did you buy the arcade cabinet? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I didn't... (laughs) <laughs> that big of a oh. windfall. <laughs> but in 1982, I won $50 yes. because mm-hmm. I came in second place <laughs> in the most freckle-faced kid uh-huh. in America contest. 
<laughs> sponsored by right. the National Enquirer. <laughs> so I bought I bought Frogger for our Atari. Oh, you've got actual. the magazine there. I do. I have proof. <laughs> well, I, I, look, I just zoomed in on Kat because she doesn't strike me as having enough freckles to win a freckle contest. Yeah, I think she <laughs> drew them on. Oh, did you? <laughs> Were there shenanigans involved in your... <laughs> It was the Inquirer, so. Mm -hmm. It could be that my photographer uncle might have used a special filter to really make mine pop out. Oh, oh, see, right, you were right. <laughs> Shenanigans. She's told us about the family. That uncle is probably related to her dad, I'm betting. Actually, no. <laughs> it came on on both sides. There yep. you go. I can just see her sitting there with a bingo stamp or just popping them all over her face. <laughs> Aren't those like, <laughs> wait, those are big circles, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think like some of them are shapes, like a star or something. He uses the wrong one. He, and they're usually blue. Yeah. Here's your fifty dollars and also a coupon to a local doctor. Hey, let's get caught up on nineteen eighties news. Hey, in nineteen eighties news this week, Ray, your Halloween costume is in jeopardy. Yeah, I know. It's bad news for me. Vince Neal is trying a revolutionary fat burning treatment in order to get in shape for the upcoming Motley Crue Stadium Tour. Mm -hmm. So in an, in an apparent effort to get in peak, you know, uh, singing condition, he's added this, I don't know, this, they say it's new and novel, but I, I think they, this one version of this type of machine has been around for decades, you know, to one extent mm -hmm. or another. But on a recent Instagram post, the singer revealed he is using M-Sculpt Neo, which I guess sounds, <laughs> it makes it sound cool and oh, matrixy, I guess. It's a treatment <laughs> which purportedly builds muscle reduces fat while you do nothing. You just have to lie there. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you take a look at this video and see what this treatment is? I did not, but yes. I read about it briefly. Yep. And as far as I can tell, it has something to do with magnets yep. and electrocution. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you're not wrong because uh, <laughs> according to swagger.com, the technology uses energy waves that cause your muscles to fire up to 20,000 times per 30 minute session using- <laughs> Magnets and electrocution. <laughs> Well, my favorite part is yep. the, that 20,000 times per 30 minute yep. session is for simultaneous deep tissue muscle building, mm -hmm. remodeling oh, yeah. and fat burn and the remodeling. <laughs> I thought, wow, your kitchen and your bathroom yeah. get done as well. While you're <laughs> napping, <Remodeling>. essentially. <laughs> you know, I, this thing, oh, look, this thing struck me as, you know, suspicious as it is right now. In the video to his, in his defense, he's doing a few sit-ups and different things before he climbs on this you know, table this gurney and is given this uh, uh, treatment. But I did a quick search for reviews that led me to find a number of people who mostly raved about their results. Although oh. likewise, you know, in their comments, it'd be like, I've seen such dramatic results adding this to my usual routine of going right. to the gym five days a week and being on a special diet. Right. Like, well, he thinks he's going to keep pounding cheeseburgers down, <laughs> get out of having to do actual <laughs> exercise. That's, that's what this is. This is him trying to find the, the cheaty way to lose some weight. Yep. And you know, I don't blame him. Sit up, crunches, sit-ups, they suck. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to do 20,000 crunches or sit-ups <laughs> in, in half minutes. an hour? Yeah. <laughs> well, Ray used to do what? You used to do like a hundred, I a used couple to, hundred I used or something? To, I used to do about 600 a day, yeah. There you go. So he knows. There's a formula for how many beers you drink <laughs> to how many crunches you have to do that day to mm. offset the alcohol intake. So I was up to about 600 when I said, you know what? Forget it. <laughs> This is ridiculous. Well, you didn't say forget it, I'll have less beer. You just said- No, I got rid of the crunches, yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of my dad. Mm -hmm. He would, would have to take various medicines for all sorts of yeah. things. And then, but before he'd take them, he'd look at the bottle 
And if it said, do not take with alcohol, mm-hmm. he'd say, oh, not taking that one tonight. <laughs> so he adjusted accordingly. <laughs> yeah, unless you think this is a, easy, a quick way, a quick fix. It's not a cheap one. Uh, it seems that around four of these 30-minute sessions could run you around 2,500 bucks. But he seems highly motivated <laughs> because if it's true, according to an anonymous source that spoke with the Metal Den just a few days after Neil's video came out, there was a massive fight between Neil and, and Nikki Six a week earlier over the obvious issues the singer's been having with losing weight and staying sober. According to the source, Six threatened to fire Neil and replace him with John Corabi, leaving an angry Neil to hmm. vow that he would lose the weight no matter what it takes. Wow. Who's John Karabi, right? Uh, John Karabi sang with Motley Crue on one album. Mm. He was in another band that's of little importance. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, other, I'm sure other people are not going to like that I said that, but whatever. Yep. But um, he's already come out and said, this story is absolute bullshit. Okay. I would never go back to that band after the way they treated me. Hmm. But Vince and uh, Nikki do fight a lot about his weight problems. Mm. So at least that part of it's believable. Maybe who they're going to replace yeah. him with is... To be uh, determined. Uh, they, they've figured it out. Uh, you don't replace Vince Neil because mm. you can't sell tickets. Yeah. You, ha- you have mm. to be Motley Crue. Right. You can't just say, we're Motley Crue and here's Dave the roadie yeah. going to do vocals tonight. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. They want to see Vince. Right. They want either a good Vince or a train wreck. <laughs> so you, either way, you're getting something out of it. Yeah. Listeners will recall, it was just a little over three months ago when that video came out of him struggling to complete his solo concert at the Boone, Iowa River Valley Festival. After singing several songs, he began to lose his voice before storming off stage uh, during a performance of Girls, Girls, Girls. Mm-hmm. In fairness to him, he was losing his voice all night, but that was the 14th song of the set. How yeah. many songs would there normally be? Yeah. Well, he was probably going to do two hours. Is that how long a Motley Crue concert would be, though? Well, it's probably how long a state fair wants you to play for 60 bucks and a corn dog. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't get his corn dog that night because he didn't finish for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> In other 80s news, Ghostbusters Afterlife. What are you doing? Has moved its release date. There you go. How about that? In a bad news, good news, good news uh, situation, we've learned that Paramount has moved Top Gun Maverick from its November 19th spot and delayed the long awaited sequel to 2022. Are you kidding me? Ray and I were talking about seeing this in July of 2020. We now need to wait until Memorial Day weekend 2022 to see Tom Cruise flying jets and presumably playing with the boys shirtless. Correct. Well, that would make more sense because the holiday is right around there. And I think volleyball season starts then too. There you go. Right. You're not going to play volleyball shirtless in Mm. November. No, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Kat did that sound as if she's, oh, that was a, thank you for the advice. I need to (laughs) look to warmer weather to watch the boys play together or something like that. No, Mm. my son plays volleyball. Oh, don't, come on. Oh, don't bring your son up after that line. Oh, Jesus. It's awful. Hey, uh, so until recently, Paramount was gearing up to release Maverick just before Thanksgiving. In fact, the studio just last month teased the film's first 13 minutes at CinemaCon, which is an industry uh, convention where journalists get to see films early. I'm so jealous of those folks. While this move to 2022 hurts us nearly as much as watching Goose hit the canopy, Hmm. it is also the cause for some good cheer because following the postponement, Sony pounced on the, the now available release date for Ghostbusters Afterlife pushing the blockbuster sequel from November 11th to November 19th. Mm. But with the absence of Top Gun coming out in November, Sony has, was able to secure IMAX and other wide format screens for Ghostbusters Afterlife. 
Uh, it turns out that during the pandemic, IMAX and Dolby theaters have seen a lift in box office while others have been suffering because it seems their calculus is that if moviegoers are saying, hey, I'll risk getting COVID, I'm going to do it for a giant screen. Otherwise, my TV at home is pretty big. <laughs> I wonder if they push back Top Gun because of the Val documentary that just came out and they don't want people talking about it when they see so, that. So, yeah, you know, we know Val Kilmer's in the film. You know, Tom Cruise demanded it or he encouraged it. And ultimately, Val Kilmer's in it. We don't know how they're dealing with his voice because Val Kilmer has difficulty being understood. He can speak, but it's hard to understand him. Yeah. I was wondering if they try to explain it away in the context of his character, you know? So did something happen to Iceman, maybe even related to his service in the military that's left in this way, you know? And they're able to make a statement about uh, vets or something, you know? Yeah. But so, Ray, were you suggesting, though, they want to distance it from the documentary so folks aren't thinking about the challenges Val Kilmer's been having? Yeah, I don't think, uh, because the timing of that documentary just coming out now, yeah. and it's picking up a lot of steam. A lot of people are seeing this thing. Yeah. In my opinion, I don't think they want people going man, did you see Val? Did you see Val in the movie? Mm. And that's all they're going to talk about right now because mm. Tom Cruise has a, a very fragile ego. Yeah, he, he <laughs> couldn't handle that. Is that right? Do you guys know something about Tom Cruise? like that? <laughs> that he has a fragile ego? Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, okay. That's my perception of him. <laughs> the other good, bit of good news is that Ghostbusters Afterlife, just like the, uh, the clip from Top Gun Maverick, Ghostbusters Afterlife was screened the entire film at CinemaCon. Mm-hmm. And so far, mm-hmm. all we've heard is mostly positive reviews from these journalists, including Entertainment Weekly's Lauren Huff, who noted that, quote, Easter eggs and nostalgia fill just about every frame, but the story still manages to feel fresh and new, end quote. Well, let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, if they had come out the same day yeah. in the theater, we were going to see Ghostbusters before Top Gun. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. So I don't know why they were scared, of, or Top Gun, how Top Gun got top billing in the big yeah. theaters. Yeah. My wife earlier, yep. I was talking about Maverick and she said, Hey, let's watch the old movie. You know, while we wait. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. We don't have to. I said, I, but I, if you want to watch a movie like that, let's watch Iron Eagle. <laughs> That's got a lot more action, you know, for every, you know, <laughs> what do they call that? The dog fight. You know, you've got mm-hmm. a lot of shirtless men and just, I don't know, draggy romance. Volleyball though. No, no, I don't believe so. There's some lacrosse though. I don't know. What, what's the sport that would be so? Are there shirts on or off? What? What's the what's the what's the least sexy sport we could have a bunch of people playing? <laughs> Bowling. If um, if the dude's buff and ripped, yeah. Pretty much anything he like darts, bowling, <laughs> lawn darts, cornhole. It it doesn't matter what the sport is. You know, you grease them up and you send them out there and let a Kenny Loggins song play and you're good. You're good. Sure. Hey, in other 1980s news, according to Business Insider, right now you may be interested in this, you may actually be able to make a living doing something that you love to do other than podcasting, Mm -hmm. which we know pays a lot. It's, you know, living well with this. Mm. Uh, In a recent article in uh, Business Insider, Dungeon Master Todd Karlstrom said he makes up to $125 an hour running virtual and in-person games. Would you be willing to do that, Ray, if you can make that kind of coin? You know, that sounds like a really easy gig. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I know. I have I, an expert I can call on this. You know, hang on a second. Let me get him on. Let me get him on the phone here. Let's see. Uh, hey, hello. Hey, Todd. Hey, guys. Todd <laughs> Hey, we were just reading all about you at Business Insider. Uh, oh, yeah. You just saw that article. Yeah. So Ray thinks it. 
Ray, Ray was just <laughs> concluding that it must be easy to be a dungeon master. Can be, you know, because I do a lot of kids games. So I, hmm. a lot of them first timers. So I just line them up with Lost Minds of Fandelver, which for those of you who don't right. know the game that well, that's an early adventure in the fifth edition of the current game. So, uh-huh. so speaking of first times, when did you first play Dungeons and Dragons? I got the basic set back in the early 80s. Cool. Was it the Red Box? Mm. Red Box. Oh, yeah. So I, w- I was playing way back then. I was a DM <laughs> then. Because mm-hmm. if I didn't DM, we didn't play. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> so uh, skipping ahead then, uh, many years later, to, to you know, uh, recent times, how is it that you've turned this you know childhood passion into a job? Long story short, I was a teaching artist at the time. I was going into public schools with different social emotional pro- um, programs mm-hmm. where we would do scenes and act two actors presenting moral quandaries and always resolving them in the worst possible way <laughs> and processing the scene with the kids. Having one of them step in for the actor, one of the actors, and then redoing the scenes so that it turns out well. Mm. Cool. And we had an after school program in Brooklyn that was falling apart because the the program is meant for in school, for push in. You do it that way and the kids are really happy to see you because mm. you're not math. You're not <laughs> geography. You're the right. AV cart getting rolled in. You know. <laughs> well, I was doing it after school and like they're like, this we wanted to run around we were in school already so over the course of the year i was losing kids and there was four kids left by like may and i noticed three of those kids had character sheets oh yeah and my partner didn't show up that one day and i was like well i didn't bring anything but i was like we're gonna run a DD game and i just made it up and it went swimmingly so after that day, I went to the after school director and said, I think your kids want this program. You know, she was mm-hmm. a really cool person and she got it. It didn't pick up immediately, but next year they offered me a position at the school. Then that oh, led cool. to all word of mouth. It's all mm-hmm. my jobs have been word of mouth, adult, mm-hmm. kid, mm-hmm. anything. The, the position they offered you was it to run these games after school? No kidding. This will oh, be my so fourth cool. year, third or fourth so year. Cool. So with all the entertainment options that kids have today, what do you think it is that would draw kids to, to this? It seems more popular now than ever, uh, draw them to a game where, you know, we essentially play it with paper and books. Every year, the next enormous RPG comes out on a computer. Sure. And Mm -hmm. sandboxy, enormous. You can do anything you think in the world, but no, there's always a limit. Mm. And there's, there's always a glitch that ruins it, (laughs) that takes you out of the immersion of it. Mm-hmm. D&D, because it's all up here, that doesn't exist. Like, oh, if they want to f*** with my module and, <laughs> and not go anywhere I have planned, they will. Like, oh, there's the tower you want us to go to? <laughs> that. We're going over that hill. Yeah. And I've just got to roll with it because wow. I'm an impartial observer. Ray and I have talked about that phenomenon before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you sharing your experience and how you got there. Ray, maybe you got it. You know, maybe Ray's going to be able to sit on this now and figure out how he can leverage this in our own yeah, area. Yeah, I, I figured it out. Okay. I just have to um, impersonate a teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get a job at a school working with kids with yeah. my fake credentials. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then... Um, and once I have that, then yeah. I can become, I can do it at night for people who don't sleep. Yeah. Because <laughs> those are people with disposable income. That's what you're looking for. Right. That's mm. the hardest group. That's the hardest group to get. The ones that are willing to pay the big bucks. Right. Right. Oh, right. All right. You got a solid plan there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you got, if you got a minute to stick around, the next news story I was going to do is Dungeons and Dragons related and, and connected to something you brought up. Mm-hmm. 
In other 1980s news, comicbook.com reports that Dungeons & Dragons novels, video games, other spinoffs are not canonical to D&D role-playing. And maybe they weren't ever. Uh, over the past 45 years, Wizards, Wizards of the Coast and its predecessors have published hundreds of adventures, supplements, as well as uh, licensed hundreds more novels, uh, video games, comic books. We just spoke to Ari Salvatore a few weeks ago. You know who you was- You did. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. He's you got to listen. <laughs> yeah. But while speaking to the media in July, uh, lead rules designer Jeremy Crawford discussed the canon of D&D, particularly yeah. when it comes to popular novel series such as Dragonlance by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, or the Drizzt novels by Mr. Salvatore. <laughs> According to Crawford, the D&D novels, video games, comic books, and the like are wonderful expressions of D&D storytelling, but they are not canonical for the D&D role-playing game. Mm. He goes on to explain that this is in an effort to alleviate the need for DMs to go out and read novels in order to be able to run the games and otherwise just have freedom to tell the stories as they see fit. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you got you guys, Ray, you're a DM, Todd, you're a DM. How do you feel about learning about like these novels you just referenced, even Todd or Dragonlance are not necessarily connected to the games you play? Um, each edition has had its like home world. You know, in the beginning it was Greyhawk, it was Blackmore, then it was Forgotten Realms, then you had Eberron and three. I think, what are we doing? Mystera for five is in there. It's back to Forgotten Realms. Oh, is it back to Forgotten Realms now? See, I don't like 5e because- yep. It's the, you can do whatever you want game for me. So, <laughs> Which is the exact reason Todd was saying it's great. <laughs> yeah, but I, I've played it. it. It was fine. But uh, uh, as far as the books go, um, Dragonlance really was never, never a part of the right. campaign world that the, the thing revolved around. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it was adventures before book. So, mm -hmm. but it's, I think it's always been that way. I, I, I'm actually, I'm surprised that this even is an article because I think okay. you're right, Ray. I think like, how could they expect a DM to memorize all this? <laughs> that, that would be an insurmountable task at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and even if they did, they couldn't help but put their own spin on it. Mm -hmm. I understand it also from an intellectual properties point of view. Oh, and there's yeah. an enormous amount of potential there. If they had taken Drist and really gone and made a movie about Drist, that could be huge. And they may still do that. I don't know who's mm -hmm. in this Chris Pine movie that's coming yeah. out. <laughs> I know it takes place in Forgotten Realms, so we're probably likely to see yeah. some people we know. Have you seen the stills of uh, Hugh, <laughs> Hugh Grant. for the new movie? Are they out there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's definitely an NPC. <laughs> <laughs> he's the big bad dressed like an NPC. Yeah. Is he Jeremy Irons level? Oh, boy. No. He's, I think it looks worse. Oh, yes. In my honest opinion, I think... He's the big bad guy, but he looks like the guy who runs the general store. Okay. <laughs> Before we end the news here, we got to say thanks to Todd Carlstrom. Thank you so much, Todd, for joining us for the news. Yay. Uh, confirming that Ray has a maybe a potential second job because, you know, podcasting is his main career. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. And for helping me understand at least what J Jeremy Crawford <laughs> was talking about. Thanks, Todd. Thank you very much. And that was 1980s news. Hey, if you like the show and... I was going to say, if you like this show, you probably also like Dungeons and Dragons because this became a Dungeons and Dragons show. Uh, but please uh, support the show. You can like, rate, review, subscribe, share a post or share an episode. Tell a friend. Mm -hmm. um, so, all right. So I, as I mentioned today on the show, we're going to, I'm going to tell you a true crime. Can you hear air quotes when you say it that way? Yeah. When you say it that way, it absolutely, you can hear it. Okay. Oh, totally. I'm not going to do the gesture now. See so if you can still hear it. A true 
crime. Yes. Right. You can you can totally hear it. I hear it. All right. It works. Okay, cool. And that's, that's all I'm going to say about it. So I'm going to play some, look, just like we did this last time. I did it once. Ray terrified us by doing it another time. I think we got those yes. listeners back. They just gently just sort of checked in. Are they still they're talking about in. women being murdered? Oh, they're not. Okay, good. This is not a, they've moved on. So I'm going to play a little music. I'm going to try to do the voice. I'm going to try to stay in character this time. I may not. Whatever. Well, you guys have questions or comments. You just let me know. Well, you know, okay. All right, here we go. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right, here we go. It was around 1984. Fueled by tax cuts and interest adjustments. I realize it's just, it's really, it's already interesting. <laughs> I just mentioned tax cuts and interest adjustments. Ah. Every, uh, here's, here's the best part. Yep. Every time he starts one of these voices, yep. about two minutes into it, he goes, I'm not going to do the voice anymore. Yeah, again, I'm going to try to keep it up this time. <laughs> It was around 1984. Fueled by tax cuts and interest adjustments, the United States continued to climb out of the recession that plagued the decade. Consumer spending was on the rise, and so too were stock prices. But the institutional changes made in Washington would not be contained. The rate drop had caused ripples that reached beyond Wall Street and across the Atlantic, where they washed up on one particular distant shore in an unexpected way. No, I gotta play the other version of the music. Ooh. <laughs> that was in like in a little cliffhanger of sorts, Kat. I mean, you weren't here the last time we did this, but you know, it's kind of, right? Mm-hmm. It's amazing to like see you do this voice. Oh. <laughs> he doesn't realize there's a there's a facial expression he makes when he does the voice. Oh my god, the eyebrows! No, oh no, I realize it. That's why I started holding oh, this paper you? up higher in front of the camera <laughs> because when I really get into it, the facial expression is even more exaggerated. And I'm, I got I got to cover it now. That's awesome. Renee Morvan was 19 years. <laughs> now all I can think about is the face. All right, Renee, <laughs> that's not helping, cat. Renee Morvan was 19 years old, living along the coast of Brittany, France. Except for the occasional storm, it was an otherwise quiet farming community. On a fateful day in 1984, a particularly nasty weather phenomenon lured Morvan to the beach. There, he noticed something unusual on the shore. True. The violent waters were known to deposit all matter of sea life on Brittany. But the orange debris, which was strewn here and there, was too brightly colored to be natural. Is she really? She's still holding in a laugh. I don't know why she's laughing. That was that was magnificent. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> This is giving me the vote of confidence I need to continue. You don't worry about her. You just keep, okay. you know, your lexicon yes. is strong and yeah. you're ready to go. <laughs> um, okay, here we go. Upon inspection, Morvan learned that the unusual refuse was chunks of plastic, the first pieces of a larger puzzle. And as each successive wave delivered another batch, Morvan followed the trail 
being revealed before him. Finally, venturing down into the cliffs, Morvan discovered the source of the waste. But he would keep it a secret for 35 years. <laughs> All right. I'm not used to not getting interrupted by Ray, I think. I told you, I'm digging the voice. Oh, okay. I'm having a good All time. Right, okay. It's awesome. I want to know where this goes. This is awesome. If I want to interrupt, I'll interrupt. Right. It's fine. Oh, very good. I believe that. <laughs> Founded in 1926, the legendary toy manufacturer Tycho had weathered the Great Depression and aided the military during World War II and had become the leading manufacturer of HO scale trains by the 1970s. At that time, however, Tycho's earnings began to go off the rails. To place the company back on track, a new management team sought licensing agreements with brands that would expand the toy company's offerings and bottom line. And while they would later be known for a certain ticklish puppet, it was one particular license that birthed a Tyco product that would survive long after the brand was <laughs> defunct. Is a is is the toy they created yep. dead sea life? <laughs> you know, in a way you're right. <laughs> Born in 1945, Jim Davis wanted to be a farmer like his father. But his asthma had other plans for him. Austin, <laughs> what? How does asthma stop you from being a farmer? Because he'd have to be outside all the time. And this dude had severe asthma reactions to the animals and the, you know, huh. crops, etc. Mm -hmm. Sounds like an excuse because he didn't want to actually be a farmer to me, but whatever. <laughs> hey, maybe that's what he told Please continue. <laughs> Please continue. Often forced to remain indoors, Davis discovered his love of drawing. But it wasn't until 1975, after Davis had struggled as an artist, when he finally created a hit. Garfield, his cynical comic tarry, with a penchant f Did I say that penchant? Or should I say it in the French way? Penchant. Penchant. We yeah. say penchant, right? We would say penchant. Right? Yes, yeah, we say penchant. It sounds right. Penchant. You, you would think I didn't actually write this, but I... Penchant or lasagna and a hatred for Mondays had been syndicated in 41 newspapers. This success bred a letter of other opportunities. So, in 1981, just a few years after licensing fees had made an unknown film director extremely wealthy, Davis created Paws, Inc., a company to manage the Garfield brand. And soon, many Garfield-related products flooded the market. But only one of those also flooded the coastline of Brittany, France. <laughs> Maybe they all have to end in a joke. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the trick to this. I could still see your eyebrows over a couple of those readings there. I got to get a bigger microphone. I know this microphone covers my face somewhat. I just got to get like a giant windscreen for this. Oh, this is this is going to get more uh, interesting right now with the more uh, uh, government related governmental related uh, jargon. Ah, mm. uh, there, there's nothing I love more than governmental <laughs> jargon. 
<laughs> Even more than uh, talking about uh, Forgotten Realms? All right, this would be number two. <laughs> In 1982, a consent... What's that word? <laughs> In 1982, a consent decree agreed to by AT&T and the U.S. government ended the telephone monopoly the company had held for decades. But just a few years earlier, amidst the corporate shakeup, manufacturers already began to offer designer telephones that would add a unique style to consumers' homes. The phone was no longer a standardized leased portal into AT&T's network. Alexander Graham Bell's invention now came in an assortment of novel forms that included Coca-Cola bottles, peekaboo lucite globes, and by 1981, one popular, albeit cantankerous, orange tabby cat. <laughs> so, uh, so, so far what we know is... Yes. Garfield yep. mm -hmm. was was created by a farm boy who didn't want to work on a farm. Right. Uh -huh. So he did anything he could think of to get out of farming. Right. And somehow that ties into the sea monster that washed up <laughs> on, on the beach. All right. You figured it out by now. I'm sure you have. But you know what I just realized is interesting is that the, the young man who I described at the beginning, who was 19 in 1984, he also, I think, was a farmer at the time or later became a farmer. So there's a whole agricultural connection here. Hmm. Not long after Rene Morvan first discovered bits of orange plastic washing up on the shore of idyllic Brittany, France, others also took notice. It was impossible not to. Shortly after the storm that first delivered the unusual flotsam in 1984, more debris followed. This time, the pieces were complete enough to recognize the culprit. Hundreds <laughs> of early 1980s Garfield phones. And while the cleanup efforts immediately followed, their task was Sisyphean. For as soon as the novelty devices were cleared from the beach, another tide would deposit another batch. The smug <laughs> expression of the faux felines mocking their would-be captures. <laughs> so yeah. is amazing. So at this point, mm -hmm. whoever made the Garfield phones, you know, Tycho, if I unless I'm wrong, has tried to do what the Atari did to hmm. the ET game, which was bury it, but they <laughs> chucked it into the ocean and flushed it. Yeah. <laughs> they flushed it one at a time down yes. toilets at their offices in uh, somewhere in New Jersey. It was. Yeah. Possibly. That's one theory. Let's hold on to that. All right. All right. I like how Ray just wraps things up like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cleanup efforts continued for decades. And while it was long suspected that an errant shipping container was the source. All right, so this is a different theory, right? Okay, well, uh, I just realized, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll see if theirs is any better than mine. That's fine. And while it was long suspected that an errant shipping container was the source, none could be found. Led by Claire Simonin Lemieux. Uh, this is where I butcher French. If I haven't been doing that already, I'm going to, you know, there's a couple more French names here. I'm going to do it. Whenever you have to do French, yep. just do a French accent. 
Okay, like this, like, <laughs> the pancakes are so light and fluffy. Okay. Now, I should say different words, though, like say these words, though. Right, right yeah, yeah, but you have to actually say the name, but as long as you say it with a French accent, okay. no one will know that you're butchering it. Right, I'll try it. I'll try it that way first, and we'll see how that goes. All right, see how it goes. Led by Claire Simonine Lemieux, president of the environmental group, Ah, Villansou. I don't think that... Uh, uh, you totally nailed that. Oh, that was accurate. Oh. You just yeah. need a little mustache. Right. I told you it works. Yeah, I'm going to try a different <laughs> way. But that, that. All right. We'll go ahead and try it different way. That's fine. All right. <laughs> Led by Claire Simonin Lemieux, president of the environmental group R. Viltansu, volunteers renewed cleaning efforts in 2018. She had been searching for the origin of Garfield for years out of concern for the damage the plastic phones may be doing to the ocean. Believing the source of the cargo to be under the sea, the environmentalists enlisted the help of divers and submarines, but none spotted anything below the waters, and fewer believed a container could be there. Pause Inc., the company that currently licenses Garfield, couldn't verify the decades-old tale of the wayward shipping boat. But a fateful meeting on the beach in 2019 changed everything. Ooh. He's getting into it. I love crime stories. These are the best. Crime stories. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I love crime stories. Can you guys do that <laughs> that kind of, uh, you know, uh, inflection or intonation without doing the air quotes? Mm-hmm. Can you just do it without the... I love hearing crime <laughs> stories. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. I don't know uh, uh, mm. Yes. I love true crime stories. Oh, your hands moved. See, your hands moved. You can't no, move your hands. No, they went like this. Mm. Ray, you just sounded annoyed. <laughs> Crime stories. <laughs> He's always annoyed. Are you looking for Garfield? The middle-aged man asked Simonine Lemieux as the environmentalist continued her cleanup efforts on the Brittany coastline. When Simonine Lemieux affirmed the man's inquiry, the man continued... Come with me. (laughs) Now, in his mid-fifties, René Morvan explained how 35 years earlier, at 19 years of age, he had observed the orange phones dotting the beach after a storm. As he detailed the descent down the rocky cliffs into a sea cave, he led Simonin Lemure to the site of his discovery. Tucked, Deep within the recesses, <laughs> tucked deep within the recesses of the earth, he assured her, he had found a metal shipping container stuffed with the feline forms. <laughs> but when they reached the supposed location of the find, another problem became obvious: the cave had vanished. What? The cave had vanished. Yeah. It vanished. <laughs> You got to go behind the waterfall, dummy. <laughs> Have you never seen an adventure movie in your life? Amateurs. Did you just call me a dummy? <laughs> I call everybody a dummy. That's a term of affection, <laughs> endearment. Right. <laughs> For most of the year, Simonin Lemur learned, the cave is rendered inaccessible by the tide. 
Fortunately, just a few weeks after Morvand came forward, the entrance to the underwater cavern revealed itself. As volunteers scaled the rocky cliffs to the entrance of the cave, they stumbled upon bits of Garfield scattered across the rocks. <laughs> Their only hope was to find the lost shipping container still brimming with phones. <laughs> Why is that funny? Brimming. Dude, uh, this should have been the plot of the new Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> the Garfield oh. phone? Yeah. Oh, and then this woman here, she'll be the bad guy, right? Right. Claire, Claire Mamamasu or whatever her name <laughs> is. The environmentalist, right? Yeah. The- <laughs> Mama say, Mama say, whatever. Um, but yeah, Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and the beach full of Garfield <laughs> phone parts. Yeah, and if it's a woke Indiana Jones, who's played by a woman, she travels right. back to the 1980s to stop them from being made so they don't pollute the beach in the first place. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's what we're getting, mm-hmm. Kathleen Kennedy. Are we done with that bit? Or, or, or I keep going back to it. I think I, you can tell I just haven't dealt with it entirely. <laughs> You're still working through it. I'm, yeah. I'm, all, I'm all right with that plot. Oh, okay. If that's what she's got up her sleeve. Yeah. All right. Oh, he's back in, yeah. I'm back in. All right, awesome. Hmm. What do I see this? You were saying brimming with phones. That was amazing. Their only hope (laughs) was to find the lost shipping container still brimming with phones. Potential debris they could prevent from further polluting the environment. (laughs) What is happening? A cornucopia oh, you rewriting? lasagna loving cats. Oh, you got to rewrite. Okay, let's see, let's see. Uh, Brimming with a cornucopia of lasagna loving cats. Right. Yes. Their only hope was to find the lost shipping container still brimming with a corn <laughs> with a cornucopia of lasagna loving cats. But their hopes. Unlike the plastic phones, which still remain largely intact, were soon dashed to pieces. No! For what they found was the remainder of the shipping container, and it was empty. <laughs> All right, so you just got one last thing here. Empty. Let that sink in. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> While environmentalists have resolved the mystery of the Garfield phones, they are not feeling celebratory. With the bulk of the phones already gone, the sea, said Simonin Lemur, has done its job for 30 years. We arrived after the battle. So so, so basically that person just said... The, the ocean ate the phones and then puked them up on the beach <laughs> no. for 30 years. No. The ocean was- Is that not what- The ocean was emptying them out of- the, I feel this is your puking in a sense. Was, was The tide was, was washing yeah, them out of the- ate the phones and then puked them onto the beach. Did he put them out? Were you guys listening to a different story? So the shipping container no. must have fallen off of a ship, which turns out happens right. a lot. And- Yes. The tide has slowly mm-hmm. been washing them out of this container over yeah. 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah, we got it. Oh, yeah, oh it's the same okay. Thing. You're just right. You're, you're yeah, saying yeah, it in a much yeah. more, you know, poetic way. I, I'm. Yeah, I, I could use the voice if that helps. Oh yes. Okay, do that. <laughs> <laughs> Something about eat the phones and puked them out. So, uh, all right, let me let me try this. Give me the music. So the ocean ate the phones and puked them up all mm-hmm. over the beach. 
Yeah. All right, you're right. I can't do the I can't do the eyebrow thing, so it doesn't work. He does get, his face did get a little tighter. And then, you yeah. shut your eyes. I had to. It's tough. I just got like two sentences left here. I think. For many, the face of the lasagna loving cat. Oh, look! I had it there already. See, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> For many, the face of the lasagna loving cat brings a nostalgic joy, fueled by its surging popularity in the 1980s. For others, it is the comic poster child for pollution and long-lasting environmental damage wrought by plastics. Per Simonin Lemure, there is a, quote, feeling of desolation and sadness, end quote. Or, as Garfield would put it, Mondays. <laughs> right, there you go. So yeah, the environment is getting ruined because of plastic. It's been around since the 1980s. Gonna do? Oh man, that was amazing. No, I, <laughs> Cinnamon needs to get a different hobby. That's yeah. <laughs> Just leave it. Yeah, you look. You, you want to really get bummed out. So it turns out it takes like hundreds of years for this plastic to break down. And even when it does break down, it breaks down into microplastics, which are so small right. they enter the what do they call it? The food chain. So the fish eat it. Mm-hmm. And eventually we wound up digesting animals that digested it and so on and so forth. So yeah, we got that to look forward to. You just set it on fire. Plastic, Plastic burns. Oh. We, we've yeah. eaten Garfield. I'm sure that there's Garfield in us, right? <laughs> there's a little Garfield in all of us, Cat. You know, that's Aww. a great note to end on. That's true. Hey, uh, if you want to find out uh, all the different resources relied upon to create this uh, true true crime story today, we'll have it up on, uh, it's actually in the show notes, that uh, the show you're listening to right now, and uh, that's it, and then the end of that. So, hey, thanks to everyone who helps us bring the show to you every week, including our patrons uh, that yes. support us on Patreon, including John Henderson, yes. <laughs> Art Arnold, Craig Coletta, and newly added patron, John Kaminsky. Wow. And are you going to say it? And you, you know? oh, oh, I forget. I, I even, and, <laughs> I got to write this down. And you too can help support future episodes yes. of this podcast mm-hmm. by a joining Patreon. What do I say with a little Patreon? Uh, go to oh, patreon.com slash 1980s now. Patreon.com slash 1980s now. Yes. <laughs> and because of the generosity of those supporters, we will talk to you next time on 1980s now. See ya. Later. <laughs> <laughs>